So for those of you who uh, might not know it, my name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here with the church, and I get the chance to stand up here and preach about once a month, and so happy to be up here again to do that uh, and serve you in that way. Uh, before we do that, and actually, uh, yeah, I'm going to ask you to pray with me, but could you stand for that? I think we've been sitting a little bit, so let's just, let's stand up Well, we pray one more time, and then we'll, we'll move on. So thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be together uh, this morning, and I, I pray that you would just help us to draw close to you. Uh, you say, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. So help us to draw near to you, because honestly, Lord, Thank you for the promise that if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us, but we just cannot draw close to you if you will not help us in that, if you will not move us to do that. So help us to draw close to you now um, uh, in the, the minutes we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can sit down. Well, I think most of you um, are well aware now that uh, myself and Pastor Brett had the chance to travel to India uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And while we were there, we had the chance to do a lot of teaching and preaching. That it was the name of the game while we were there. Um, and actually, in two Sundays, after the Sunday service, if you want to learn more about that trip, we're going to share in a little bit more depth about that trip uh, at a lunch following this Sunday service. So if you're interested, uh, stick around on April 26th. Uh, we'll go into a little bit more depth about that trip. We'll share some pictures uh, and share a bit more. But in a nutshell, we were there teaching and preaching. And uh, a couple weeks ago, Brett had the opportunity to give us a little flavor of, of the teaching that he did while we were in India, uh, while he preached on the story of Joseph in Genesis and how we see Jesus in that story of Genesis. Uh, Brett's main teaching while we were there really had to do with seeing Jesus in all of Scripture. Uh, not just in the New Testament, but Jesus everywhere, all over New Testament and Old Testament as well. And uh, so I want to do something similar this morning. I just want to, I want to, I want to sh- give a little flavor of the, the teaching that I was able to offer when we were there in, um, in India. And the topic for my class that I had the, the chance to teach over the course of about 15 hours um, was on what have traditionally been, no, been known as the attributes of God. Okay, the attributes of God. And what I mean by that is to say the uh, descriptions of what God is like. Essentially, when we're, when we're thinking about the, this idea of the attributes of God, we are thinking about, um, we are... Uh, asking the question, we are answering the question, what is God like? What is God like? And, and, and think about that. What comes to mind when you think about God? What is he like? What does our society in general uh, think about that? How, how would our society answer that question? How, how would your neighbor answer that question? What is God like? How does the Bible answer that question? What is God like? And that's really what I want to focus on this morning, that question. What is God like? And um, really, mainly what I want to say is this. Jesus is the definitive revelation of God. Jesus is the definitive revelation of God. You're going to hear me say that a bunch uh, here throughout the next several minutes. And so if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. That's, he, he is the definitive revelation of God. 
of God. Just as, as all of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, it all ultimately points to Jesus, so also everything that we could say about what God is like also points us to Jesus and really is demonstrated in Jesus. He is the definitive revelation of God. That's really the main answer to that question. What is God like? Now, God reveals himself in various ways. He reveals himself in nature. Uh, God reveals himself in, in, in the pages of the Bible in various ways. But again, God is most clearly revealed. He is most definitively revealed. He is perfectly revealed in the person and ministry of Jesus. Think of a telescope. Think of a telescope in relation to the moon. What does a telescope do? It, it, it helps to, to bring the moon into greater clarity, greater focus, so that we can see what is this moon really like, right? So it might not be a perfect analogy, but Jesus is like that with, in relation to God. He's like that telescope. He clarifies and he magnifies what God is really like, who he is and, and what he is like. And that's true because, in fact, Jesus is himself God. Jesus is himself God. And we believe, of course, that, that our God exists as a tri-unity. Right? So God is, is one. We believe that wholeheartedly. God is one. He is one in essence. He is one in substance. And yet our God has eternally existed in this one essence as three distinct persons. So we have God the Father, God the Son, or we could say God the Word, and, and God the Holy Spirit. And all three of, of these uh, persons of what we might call the, the Godhead, each person is distinct, and yet each person is fully uh, God, fully equal in all of the divine attributes, fully and completely God. And yet, they are still mysteriously uh, not identical. And so... Um, some 2,000 years ago, God the Son, or God the Word, we could say, excuse me, as he's also called, he took on human flesh. He became a man, and he was born, and he was named Jesus. So this is Jesus, God the Son, the second person of the Godhead. And as such then, again, he is the definitive revelation of God. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that Jesus is the image of God. 1 John 1.18 says that Jesus came to make God known. Okay, so all of that is to say that if we want to know what God is like, then we need to look to Jesus. We see him in Jesus. If we want to know what God is like, if we want to see God, we're going to know him, we're going to see him best in and through uh, Jesus. Most clearly, most accurately, he is the most definitive revelation of all that God is. This is, this is our Jesus. And if Jesus is himself God, then we should be able to see some of the major attributes of God in him. If he's God, then, then we've got to be able to see the attributes of God in Jesus. And in fact, we do. We do see God's attributes in him. And what I basically want to do here now for uh, the rest of the time that I've got with you, with you, 
with this message is just simply to look at that. It's to I just simply want to define some of what I would consider the central uh, attributes of God, and then, and then I want to look, uh, particularly in the Bible, to see them in Jesus, okay? Now, this is not a 15-hour class on the attributes of God, so there's going to be a lot that I'm not going to say, okay? So uh, if you don't know much about this topic, I think this will be helpful for you. If you happen to have a good sense of it, Bear with me while I leave out lots of stuff, okay? But I want to give you a flavor of what I was able to offer in teaching while I was in India. And really, I just want to encourage you, hopefully you'll be more confident uh, to answer that question. What is God like? Okay, as a result of, of uh, being with me here this morning. And, uh, and then I'm going to close with some reasons why I think it's important that we know these things and uh, some implication for us as well, if in fact, it's, it's all true. Okay, so just by way of transition here, um, let me say, again, that the, the attributes that I'm going to be focusing on are what I would consider God's central uh, a- attributes. I think they're descriptions of, of God that get at his very deepest core nature. They, they, they're attributes of God that really, I think, set him apart truly as the one true God of the universe. And I say that Um, because some descriptions of God that we could mention are really just descriptions that we could give to a lot of other people or or things. Uh, So, for example, God is good. That's an attribute of God, right? God is good. Well, humans can be good too. So the fact that we would say God is good doesn't necessarily in and of itself set God apart, not necessarily, not merely because we might say that he is good. Now, the fact that God is perfectly good does set him apart. Uh, the, the fact that he is the source of all goodness and basically defines goodness, that does set him apart, absolutely. Um, but, but I'm just saying that simply to say that God is good, uh, kind of not, that in and of itself doesn't necessarily set God apart from um, the rest of his creation. But there are some attributes of God that I think do seem to be so central to his nature as God that we really could not really, we'd be, we'd be stretching it to apply these attributes to anything of God's creation and certainly any false gods. I think they really do set him apart as the one true God. And these are especially important for us to get a hold of because if these really are the the, the central um, uh, attributes of God, and we see those central attributes in Jesus, then Jesus is God. Okay, so, so very important to uh, get a hold of it. Jesus is the definitive revelation of God. We see these central attributes in him. Okay, so I'm going to mention a handful of these attributes, um, five or so. I'll give a little bit of a definition, and we'll try to see them in, in Scripture, and then we'll try to see them in Jesus. And, uh, and by the way, uh, parentheses here, if some of what I'm about to go into sounds a little bit familiar to some of you, I'm not just plucking this stuff out of thin air, okay? I've been informed by, by people much smarter than me, so I've drawn on people like Wayne Grudem, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, A.W. Tozer, others, okay? So um, I'm not trying to plagiarize anybody, just full disclosure there. Uh, So, okay, close parentheses, 
Uh, Central attributes of God. Okay, so if you're taking notes, here we go. Central attributes of God. First of all, I would say that God is independent. God is independent. And what I mean by that is to say that God is absolutely free from any source of life outside of himself. Another way to say that is that God is self-existent, or God is self-sufficient, okay? God is independent. Secondly, I'd say that God is unchanging. God is unchanging. And what I mean by that is to say that God does not change in his central being, in his nature, in his character. God does not change. Uh, In God's promises, in God's purposes, he does not change. God is unchanging. Third, another central attribute would be that God is eternal. God is eternal. And by that I mean that God is completely unlimited with respect to time. Okay, with respect to time. He's got no beginning. He's got no end. He is in no way bound by time. We could say that God is infinite, with regard to time. And so, as mysterious as that is, this, of all the attributes of God, this one messes with me the most. I think it's just the most mysterious, uh, maybe. Um, so as mysterious as it is, I think that God being eternal means that he is able to just see all of time, past, present, and, and future. He can see all of that equally well. And if that's the case, then I think we, we, we would add in there that God is omniscient. In other words, he's all-knowing. Omni is that as a word for all. All-knowing. Uh, um, he knows all things, past, present, and future, as he sees them. Uh, all pa- uh, um, uh, past, present, and, and future. And for all of these attributes, I think, ind- God is independent. God is unchanging. God is eternal. I think Exodus 3.14, I think Exodus 3.14 really is a good pointer uh, to all of these attributes in God. And there's going to be a slew of texts that um, Ron is going to faithfully throw up on the screen behind me throughout the rest of this message. We'd be here for two hours if I asked you to turn to every single passage we're going to look at. So, uh, And really hardly look at, we're kind of just mentioning them on the fly, but... Um, but I do want to mention Scripture, and I do want to put it behind me, because I want to say, I'm not plucking these ideas out of thin air, and I'm not plucking them just out of Wayne Grudem, okay? They're in the Bible. I, the, the Bible, God's Word to us, is telling us, this is what I am like, okay? So, Exodus 3.14 points to all of these first three attributes that I've mentioned. Exodus 3.14 says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So when God first revealed himself to Moses, he said that his name is I am. I am. Okay, that's related to the God that many, uh, related to the name of God that probably many of us are familiar with. That's the name Yahweh. Okay, Um, that's essentially what Yahweh means. I am. Okay, it's, 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 connected to um, this Hebrew verb that has to do uh, with just to be. <laughs> to be. I am. It's really remarkable when, when you think about it. So actually in your English Bibles, again, I think probably most of you know this, but in case you don't, um, when you see the word Lord and it's in all capital letters, L-O-R-D, 
usually that's an indication that the Hebrew behind that is this name, I am, or Yahweh. So some English translations actually do that. They just write the word Yahweh rather than Lord, okay? Um, and you can keep that in mind because you'll see some verses behind me uh, that have, you'll see, this is God's name is right there in the text. Um, to be. God simply is, right? The one true God is self Existent, He's not dependent on anything outside of himself for his own existence. And, uh, and part of, I think, what it means to be I am, again, is that he simply is who he is and always will be who he is. He always will be and he always will be who he is. Always. And as he exists, as he is, it's almost like he exists in, in this, like, one eternal now. So, so he's got, again, this incredible perspective that's mind-blowing on, the, on, on time, uh, past, present, and future. It's kind of like all of that seen and known with equal clarity. I am. So God is independent. He's unchanging. He's eternal. And I think we can see all of those attributes just in that one verse, in that one name for God in Exodus 3.14. If you're taking notes, a few other references that you might want to make note of that kind of speak to these attributes. I'll just mention them. Psalm 90 verse 2, Psalm 90 verse 4, Acts 17 verses 24 to 25, James 1.17 uh, and Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Those, those, are, those references and others have helped to inform uh, me here for this message. Okay, that, so number four, another central attribute of God that I would mention, and that is to say that God is omnipresent. There's that word again, omni, all. He's all present, or he's ever present. And by that I mean that God is unlimited by space. Okay, so just as God is unlimited with respect to time, God is also unlimited with respect to space. So he can, he can actually be present at every point of space to whatever degree that he chooses to be present. He, he's, he can do that, okay? Uh, Jeremiah 23, verses 23 to 24, I think, points us there. Those verses say, um, God is speaking. He says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, And not a God far away. Can a man hide himself in secret places that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? God fills heaven and earth. There is is nowhere anyone can be that he can't see and he can't be himself. God is omnipresent. He's all present. Finally, uh, just one more of these central attributes that I'll mention. And this is that God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent, meaning that he is all-powerful, he is sovereign, and he is free. God is all-powerful, he's sovereign, and he is free. And, and what I mean by that is to say that there is nothing that is too hard for God. Okay, he, God is completely free, and he is completely able to do all that he chooses to do consistent with his nature. He has no limitations with regard to his power, with regard to his reign or his rule. And it means that God has, again, absolute rule over all of creation as king. 
He has total control and determination over everything that happens in the universe. It means that God is absolutely free. He can do whatever he pleases. There are no constraints on God outside of God himself. So Psalm 135, verses 5 to 6, it says, I know that the Lord, I know that Yahweh is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever Yahweh pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. God is all-powerful. God is sovereign. God is free. Whatever he pleases to do, he does. Nothing can stay his hand. Nothing. So what is God like? God is omnipotent, and he's sovereign, and he's free, and he's independent, and self-existent. He's eternal. He's, he's unchanging. He's, he's omnipresent. And we, I think we could add there he's omniscient. He's all-knowing, past, present, and future. This is what God is like. What is God like? These attributes are what God is like. Is that what your neighbor would say for what God is like? Is that what our society would say that God is like? Maybe, maybe not. Um, But good to ask the question and good to know a biblical answer. Um, And as I've said, Jesus is the definitive revelation of God. And he is himself God. And so we would expect then that if this is what God is like, then Jesus would be like that. We would expect to see these attributes in Jesus, right? Um, And in fact, we do see them in Jesus, which is why I can have confidence to say that Jesus is God. If I didn't see these in Jesus, my faith might be shaky about Jesus being God. But I do see them in Jesus. So let's just look at a bunch more scripture here and see these things. Um, John eight fifty seven to 58. The Jews said to Jesus, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. That's the name for God in in the Old Testament. And and again, it points to the fact that God is eternal and he's unchanging and he's completely independent and he's self-existent. And here Jesus pulls this name to himself. I am. Jesus existed even before Abraham was born. How is that possible if he was born 2,000 years ago in in some bad conditions to Mary and Joseph? Because he's God. That's why he can say that. Revelation 22, verse 13. Jesus says that, uh, he says there, uh, again, Revelation 22, 13, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is Jesus talking. Hebrews 3, uh, 13, 8, talking about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so, we see um, kind of a, a, an eternal nature here in Jesus. We see an unchanging nature in Jesus. But those things are in the DNA of Godness. Right? Humans have DNA. God, we could say, has this DNA of Godness, these central attributes. And yet the Bible clearly puts these at the feet of Jesus. The Bible clearly says, yeah, this is true of Jesus as well. 
Notice first, uh, John 1, verse 3. Speaking of Jesus, it says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Or Colossians 1, 16. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Wow. God is the creator of all things. God is eternal and unchanging and independent. God is completely self-sufficient. And, and in fact, God is the source of all of life. This is part of what it means to be God, to have these central attributes. And here, John 1, Colossians 1, we see that all of that is applied to Jesus. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is unchanging. And Jesus is independent. And we also see that Jesus is omnipotent. Jesus is sovereign. Though once again, to say that Jesus is all-powerful and is the ruler, the sovereign of the universe, that, that's stuff that we should only be talking about with regard to God. But yet we see that it's true of Jesus as well. So notice Mark 4, 39. Mark 4, 39. Jesus awoke. He was sleeping on a boat at this time. Jesus awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. I would love to hear how Jesus said that. I mean, did he like really bark at the weather to stop or, or did he just peacefully, calmly, peace? And it was calm. I, 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 I can't wait to find out exactly how that sounded. But listen, the weather obeyed Jesus. It really doesn't get much more powerful than that. That the weather would do your bidding. And we see elsewhere in the Bible that Jesus has power over sickness, over demons. Jesus has power over animals, we see. In Matthew 28, Jesus says plainly, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Jesus said that plainly. So he has all authority in heaven and earth. He commands weather and animals and demons and diseases. All of these powers that are only rightly applied to God. And yet we see the Bible clearly applying them to Jesus. And Jesus is also, uh, so he's, he's omnipotent and sovereign. Jesus is also omniscient. He's om, or I'm sorry, uh, omnipresent. Too many omnis here. Omni, the omni theater. No. Uh, he's, he's omnipresent. Matthew 18, 20. Jesus says that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. That's a verse that if we're familiar with the New Testament a bit, if we're familiar with church life, um, we kind of just intuitively, we, we think about that verse and it just kind of comes and goes, but it's really a remarkable statement about Jesus' omnipresence. His, his, that he has this central attribute of God. So people gathered in India right now. Yep, it's 1020 in India right now. People gathered there in Jesus' name. Jesus is with them. Right here, we're gathered in Jesus' name. Jesus is with us. 
Well, that takes an omnipresent God to pull that off. Jesus is omnipresent. He's unbound by any force outside of himself to be precisely where he chooses to be, whenever he chooses to be there, even in multiple places at once. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And we could go on. We could look at all of the attributes of God, many, many, many that I have not mentioned this morning. Um, We could search the scriptures, and we would see that all of them can be found in Jesus. And we would expect that if Jesus is, in fact, God, and he, in fact, is. The one true God is eternal. What is God like? The one true God is eternal. He's unbound by time. He's always existed. He always will exist. He has unlimited power to do all that he chooses to do. He is the uncreated creator of all things. He is unlimited by space, and he can see, and he can know, and he can act in any place that he wants, all at once. The one true God is unchanging. The one true God is without flaw, so he doesn't need to change. And he never does change in his very deepest character. And we see all of those attributes in Jesus. And this all means again that, uh, means again that Jesus is God. He is the incarnation of God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And he is the definitive revelation of God. Okay. So why might this uh, matter that we would know any of this? I mean, is it just, uh, it's just a good class to take? Um, and I'm confident that many of you could probably answer that question better than I'm going to propose right now. But it is a question. Why, would, why does it matter that we even know this stuff? And then what might be some implications of the fact that it's true, or if it is all true, what, what might be some implications of that? Well, first of all, consider why any of us even exists. Ever thought about that? Why do I exist? What's my purpose for living? Well, Isaiah 43, 7 says that God created us for his glory. We exist for God's glory. And then a few verses later in Isaiah 43, I think, Uh, Isaiah 43, verses 10 to 11. I think uh, those verses help to flesh out what this means, at least in part, to live for God's glory. And in those verses, God says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior. So we exist to glorify God. And part of what that means, I think, would be to say that we would accurately bear witness about who God is. We would accurately bear witness to who God is. Put another way, we, we, we were created to both, be, uh, to both know God and to make him known. To make God known. It's to know what he is like, and it's to show and tell what he is like to a watching world. This is why we were created. This is our, our purpose for living. That's, I, that's a big statement, I realize. That's why we exist, to know God and to make him known to his glory. Now, I compared Jesus 
to a, uh, to a telescope earlier, well, that's a pretty decent analogy for us as well, I think, with regard to our, our purpose, to describe our purpose for living, okay? So just like a telescope might exist to, to magnify night sky objects, well, so we exist to do the same with regard to God. We exist to magnify who God is, to, to, to be looked at and see. Oh, that's what God is like. That's what he's like. That's why we were created. And, and, and part of, of the way that we do that is by knowing ourselves what he is like. And then we talk about that and we testify to that by the way that we live our lives. Now, I hope that all of you in that moment thought, are you kidding me? I don't do that. I don't either. Um, we are really broken telescopes. Um, we have cracked lenses, we could say. We often fail in that regard. But this is why it's good news that we are not the definitive revelation of God. Jesus is the definitive revelation of God. That's, that's Jesus' job. We, we are not perfect telescopes. Our lenses, we could say again, are cracked. Now, we might kept, catch a glimpse of what God is like um, as we look at individual Christians, as we look at the, the church body. Um, we might catch a glimpse of that. In fact, I would say that we should be able to uh, catch a glimpse of of what God is like as we look to other Christians and we look to the church. Um, we should be able to see God in ever-increasing measure as we all mature as uh, disciples. But man, do not expect perfection. Do not expect me, do not expect one another to be perfect in, in this regard. We are never going to show God as clear as we should. And so praise God for Jesus. He's the one to whom we look to see God most clearly. And also to see God perfectly. To see God clearly, but also to see God perfectly. Now, I've, I've only focused on what I've considered God's central uh, kind of defining attributes, but there are a lot more that we could talk about. In fact, just in one psalm alone, one psalm, for example, Psalm 111, uh, I'm not going to read through it, but I would point you there to read later this week. In just that one psalm alone, we can see that God is gracious and merciful and faithful and just, and he is trustworthy. God is a provider, God is a redeemer, and he's holy and righteous. All of that in just that one psalm, in about 10, uh, 10 verses, if I'm not mistaken. And we could definitely say more. Uh, there's a lot more Bible to help us understand excuse me, to help us understand that. Uh, and we certainly could say more about what do each of those attributes mean. But my point in saying that is, is that it's not just that we see God's, uh, see God's central attributes in Jesus, but, but also as a man, Jesus perfectly, and I mean perfectly, demonstrated all of these other attributes as well, as a man, Jesus was a perfect man. He, was, uh, he perfectly magnified God as a perfect telescope, perfectly imitating God as you and I have so often failed to do. And so again, praise God for Jesus. We might be telescoped with, uh, telescopes with cracked lenses, but not him. Jesus is perfect.
And it's important to know that. It's important to, to know all of this because if we're going to fill our purpose, which is to make God known, well, then we actually have to be able to answer the question of what is God like? And if we're going to do that well, then we need to point people to Jesus. Because, again, I can't say it enough, Jesus is the definitive revelation of God. Okay? And as we do that, so that would be one reason why I would give to uh, why it's important that we know these things. Um, let me move on and mention a few implications if all of this is true. So as we do that, as we point people to Jesus, and if Jesus is truly God, then there are some significant uh, implications that that are true for us, but they're also going to be true for everybody else um, that we might point to Jesus, okay? Um, First of all, I'll mention just a few. First of all, it means that we worship Jesus. If Jesus is God, then we don't just admire Jesus, We don't just imitate Jesus. We don't just obey Jesus. We might do all of those things, but we, in fact, worship Jesus. We worship him. We worship him. We we deny our own lives. We stop living for ourselves, and we live for him. We live for Jesus. We sacrifice ourselves, we could say, for him and for service to him and his priorities. And we do that with joy. It's actually, it's actually a joy to us that we would do that. That's worship. And, and we give that to Jesus. Actually, if Jesus is God, then that worship isn't actually optional. As joyful as it might be, it's not actually optional. In fact, it's demanded of all people, not just so-called Christians, but literally every person on the planet from every background. All of us are equal in that regard. All of us owe allegiance to Jesus, whether raised in America or raised in India or raised in China, doesn't matter. God shows no partiality in this respect. To worship any other person, place, or thing is idolatry. If Jesus is God, and I think we've seen that he is, at least according to the Bible. And so as we would hope to point anyone to God, if we're going to point friends, family, classmates, co-workers, neighbors, whoever, if we're going to point anyone to God, then we cannot possibly do that apart from pointing them to Jesus. If anyone would see God, talk to God, know God, love God, be loved by God, all of that and more, it's only possible in and through Jesus. Okay? Um, Secondly, another uh, implication if Jesus is God, then we can have confidence that we can actually know God. And, and not just know about him, but actually know him in a real, deep, uh, personal uh, 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 relationship. In other words, we can actually be saved. Okay? We can know God in a real, deep, intimate, personal relationship. We can be saved. And we do need saving, by the way. Uh, I'm not sure where, I, I don't know everybody in the room. I'm not exactly sure where you're at in terms of spiritual background. Um, we do need saving. Remember, we're not perfect telescopes. We're not, we're, we're cracked, we have cracked lenses. We don't fill God's purposes for our lives. So we, we cannot glorify God by, by imitating and witnessing to God as perfectly as he demands that we actually do. 
And so we need saving from the judgment of God and all of its consequences. And that's actually possible because Jesus is God. It's possible because Jesus is God. And a third implication related to that, that salvation, it's truly guaranteed. It's truly secure for anyone who would put their trust in Jesus. And I say that because Jesus is both perfect man and God. And so he is both worthy and able to be the sacrifice to atone for our sins that God requires and to be the perfection and to be the perfect witness that God demands of, demands of us. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. And, and because he is God, then he is unchanging and he's omnipotent and he's sovereign and he's independent. And so all of those things at the very center of his plan for saving his people. And so if that's true, then that plan cannot be thwarted. That plan cannot be broken. It, it cannot be broken in any way. It's, it's secure for all eternity because it's God himself who's doing the saving. God himself who is our savior. Isaiah 43, I am the Lord and besides me there is no savior. Okay? God, being all that we've said he is at the center of our salvation, it doesn't get any more unbreakable than, than that and more secure than that. Because it's not on us, it's on God and Jesus. Final implication. Because Jesus is omnipresent, he always, know, he, he always knows where we are, what we're facing, and he can always be close to us in all of it. So real, true, deep, significant intimacy is actually possible with the God of the universe, with the creator of the universe, wherever and whenever we are there, wherever we are and whenever we might be there. So if we're trusting in Jesus, we truly are never alone. Jesus always is at hand for our good. And if we're not trusting in Jesus, again, I'm not entirely sure of the spiritual background of, those, of, of all of you here. If we're not trusting in Jesus, well, you too are never alone. And there's a warning in that. There's a warning there. Truly, there is no place that anybody can hide from Jesus' presence. One day, all of us are going to have to face Jesus and, and, and as God and give account for our lives. So on that day, are we going to be trusting that we were perfect telescopes glorifying God perfectly like he, he demands that we do with our perfect witness? Or are we going to trust that it's Jesus who reveals God perfectly and, and, and uh, that he does so on our behalf? My money's with Jesus. <laughs> That's where I'm going on that one. Uh, all of these things, again, all of these um, uh, implications, all of the attributes, um, they're, they're implications of the fact that God is like what he is like. And Jesus is God. If, if Jesus is not God, then um, C.S. Lewis is right. I think some of you are familiar probably with an argument of his. C.S. Lewis, Lewis is right. If Jesus is not God, then Jesus is either a liar, or Jesus is a lunatic, or he is, in fact, Lord. So there's no room for Jesus to be 
uh, just a good teacher. There's no room for Jesus to be just this great prophet. If he's not God, then he's a liar. If he's not God, he just has flat out lied. Or if he's not God, but we don't think he's a liar, then he's got to be a lunatic. He's got to be just crazy, got to just be off his rocker, or just totally deceived. He's either a liar or a lunatic, or in fact, I think evidenced by the scriptures we've seen, he is in fact Lord. And And I would say that he is in fact Lord if God is what he is like, and if he, he is independent and he's eternal and he's unchanging and he's omnipotent, omnipotent and, and sovereign and omnipresent and all of this is like what Jesus is like, then it follows that Jesus is in fact God. And, and that is true. All of the attributes of God ultimately point to Jesus as the ultimate, the definitive revelation of all of what God is like. So, so the question, when we think about the attributes of God, what is God like? Jesus. Jesus in himself, he is the definitive answer to that question. Obviously, there's lots of ways we need to flesh that out and talk about it. Here was one message on it. Um, but that's the, that's the answer. It's Jesus. Jesus is the definitive answer to that question. Okay? That's all I got. So let's pray, and we'll, we'll move forward. Lord, thank you very much for the opportunity for us to gather here today And I do pray, God, that you would uh, help us to see you more clearly in the wake of every aspect of our service together here. Help us to see you more clearly because of the music and because of the lyrics of the songs that we've been singing as we sing what's true about you. Help us to see you more clearly as we see your body interacting with one another in ways that are honoring to you. Help us to see you most clearly as we see Jesus here with us today, in, through us here today and, and help us to respond well to that, to, to, to do, try to glorify you with our witness, but ultimately lean on Jesus as the, the perfect witness. Jesus as, in fact, perfect on our behalf. Help us there, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.